0: Night Impact podcast. I am Tracy Purdy, and I believe that people are placed into our lives at every step in our life journey to be an integral part of our story. Here on the podcast, we will talk with individuals who have influenced me, helped me grow, nurtured me, inspired me, transformed my thinking, and enriched my life, and will do the same for you. be covering a variety of subjects so stay tuned to be inspired and encouraged our guest today emily smith is such a special friend to me she is a mom of five wife to brian of 25 years advocate for adoption, and has partnered with one of my favorite companies. She partners with artisan businesses that share a passion for building a flourishing world. She helps develop these businesses through empowering them to grow sustainably and to create dignified jobs for people and families who need them. She is also on the board of Light Evangelism Ministry that shares the gospel through evangelism and humanitarian efforts. I cannot wait for you to get to know Emily and how she has impacted my life. Welcome, Emily Smith. I am so thankful that you were able to carve out some time to come and visit with me today.
1: Thank you. Any time I get to spend with you
0: oh, you're so sweet. is the I greatest. It. I love it. I am going to start off diving right into the topic that I would love to talk with you about, advocacy. I believe that advocacy can look different for everyone. Every person has a different perspective and a different story to share, which is one of the reasons why I'm so excited about this podcast. Sharing others' perspectives that in turn have an impact on those around them. Whether your cause is related to climate change, human trafficking, animal welfare, or fashion, the goal of an advocate is to communicate your passion for an issue, your desire for change, and your hope is that others will grow passionate about it and will join you in the fight. I think the first time that we ever met was what, like 14 years ago?
1: It was about that, yeah, probably close long to time that. ago.
0: So we were at a national women's conference and we had mutual friends and I could so clearly see that you are an advocate for adoption and you had such an amazing voice for that. We connected by talking about our infertility, miscarriages and adoption within the first 10 minutes of knowing each other.
1: <laughs> and I, I like to dive in quickly. Right at dive it. Dive in yes, quickly. You're like a
0: no-nonsense <laughs> gal. I like it. I believe that was like right around the time that you had just started the process of bringing Mm -hmm, Abby home. mm -hmm. And we had just begun the process of looking into adoption ourselves. You and Brian have such a beautiful family. While you have two adopted children, you have three biological miracle children as well. Mm -hmm. You have Hannah, who is 21, Caleb, 13, Ruthie, 8. And then you got to add Abby, who is now 12, and Betty, who is 14. That is quite a spread
1: for your kids. It's a lot. It's a lot. We got every stage of parenting going at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's another one. Mental gymnastics. Love
0: it. How well do the kids get along? Not at all.
1: Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) They don't. Okay. I have this vision in my head of this beautiful, like I don't know, little house on the prairie kind of family sure, where all? all the kids just love each other. <laughs> and they get along, and no, we live in we live in the real world chaos. At our, yeah, oh my gosh, right. I call us the Smith Circus because it's like we just bring the circus to town everywhere we yeah. go day it's, to day. But it's right? a beautiful life. It's hard and it's chaotic, but it's. Good. it's beautiful.
0: Have you always considered yourself to be an advocate? Not necessarily just for adoption, but in any other aspects?
1: I don't remember, like as a kid or growing up, I don't remember really feeling that pull to stand up for people who don't have a voice. But that is something that my mom modeled for me. Really? As I was growing, I was seeing her in just her day-to-day life, reaching out for the people who were on the margins Mm. and people who were outcast. My dad was a band director for 30 years. We had kids that were in the marching band that were a little different. Sure. And they would get treated differently, not just by people in the school, but by people in the band. And Mm. my mom was always drawn directly to those kids. Really? And would pull them in and make them know that they were valued and loved and that they had a purpose and a place. Wow. And when we held her funeral back in September, about four months ago, one of the boys from the band came and I was shocked to see him there. Wow! And he said, your mom changed my life. Wow. Just from seeing him. Mm. And so that was that's so the powerful. model yeah. that was laid for me. So <clears throat> as I grew, it just became part of who I was.
0: When do you feel like you started using your voice? to?
1: Honestly, not until right about the time we started thinking about adoption. Really? Yeah. I feel like I was living kind of in my own little world, mm-hmm. my self-serving world. Right. Right? With me at the center of it. Sure. God just really started to open my eyes to... One, the plight of the orphan, but at the same time, I was reading some books and doing some Bible studies that were talking about image bearers and the need for us as the body of believers to build up people that didn't have a voice, and God just started the path. Off from he, there, yes, right? yes.
0: So was there an event that set your sights on adopting Abby? I'm not sure I've ever heard like the backstory mm-hmm. to her adoption was adopting like internationally something that you and Brian had always wanted to do? No, no. no.
1: So we, you know, you mentioned that you and I have connected over Infertility and miscarriage. Right. Um, so we got married in 97. We started trying to start our family in 98. Went through a lot of infertility, all the treatments, everything. Oh, yeah. Um, we got pregnant. Well. <laughs> yeah. Um, we got pregnant through assistance with mm-hmm. uh, meds in 99, actually. Okay. So probably about 18 months-ish after we started trying. And then we lost that baby May 22nd of 2000. We lost that baby at 13 weeks. Mm. We got pregnant six months later with Hannah and miraculously was able to conceive and deliver her. So when she was about a year old, we went to a concert With Stephen Curtis Chapman. Okay. And we had been saying that we were ready to start trying again because we didn't know how long it was going to take. Yeah. It had, you know, it was three years from the time we started until we had Hannah. Well, that concert was right after he had adopted Show Hannah from China. Okay. And a lot of his concert was surrounded around adoption and around her And I just started weeping at the sight of this baby girl on this screen Mm -hmm. who had been abandoned, who had had no, no hope for any kind of flourishing future. And they had opened their home to her. And I felt God saying, you're going to adopt. I just, I I don't often feel like I'm hearing an audible voice from the Lord, but that was very one of those moments where it was like, you are going to adopt. So we didn't. Really follow that immediately as we should have. It's kind of like Jonah, you know, when he's called to Nineveh and then he runs the opposite direction. So I thought, well, that's great. We'll have all of our biological kids and then we'll talk about it later.
0: Oh, we had that same Uh mindset. Yeah, it's amazing. And so God was like, No, nope, we're gonna. That's not the plan.
1: (laughs) So yep, we could not get pregnant, and we didn't start the adoption process until 2006. Okay. So there was a lot of running. Yeah. Um, Hannah was born in 2001. That concert was around 2002. And we didn't start the process until 2006. Mm. So
0: have your feelings towards adoption changed over the years after you've been through different adoptions? Mm-hmm.
1: That you've yeah, our, do- our adoptions were very different. Um, Abby was from China. She's 13 months old. Mm-hmm. Betty's from West Africa and was nine So, I didn't realize she was that. Yeah, that's there's a big difference between those two adoptions and the way that those children came into our home. I still, let me be very clear, I still believe that God has adoption as a way to care for orphans. Mm -hmm. I firmly believe that, right? However, my thoughts on adoption have completely shifted from the where they were in the beginning. So when we were sitting at the concert with Stephen Curtis Chapman and that little girl's face came up on the screen, I was operating from a belief system that I was saving a child, mm. that I was rescuing a child. And that's a narrative in the adoption community sure. that is at the top. Right. The problem with that is that you're centering yourself. Mm. You are the savior. In that story, and you're not centering the child. That child needs to be the center of that story because it's their story. Oh, wow. They are being, in the case of international adoption, taken out of their home culture, right? Never to return. Mm-hmm. Everything unless ever they become an adult and, and choose geez. to go back. Wow. They're losing their culture, their smells and foods and everything that is familiar to them to come here so we have to stay very aware that every adoption involves loss
0: mm, it's not yes. about what
1: we're gaining that's so true yeah. it's about what they're losing and so we're stepping into a story
0: right we're not
1: creating, creating a new a story yeah. Adoption should never, ever, ever exist as a way for you to meet your desires for what your family should look like in your head, (laughs) because that's you and your desire. Right. It should be instead, is God asking me to step into the brokenness of this child's life and walk alongside them? as they heal. Right. With God's help, but it's not you. Right. You are not saving that child. Hmm. When we started the process of adopting Abby, which took five years to complete.
0: Wow. There was
1: no (laughs) discussion around trauma and adoption. Yep. So I had this mentality of, I'm just going to Adopt this precious little girl, and I'm gonna bring her into my home, and I'm gonna love her, and it's gonna be amazing. Hmm. But what they didn't talk educate about. us yeah. on or talk to us about was the fact that she could have abandonment, neglect, malnutrition, early hospitalization, muscle atrophy. Hmm. She had all of that. When we adopted her at 13 months, the trauma that was part of her story for those first 13 months still affects her today. Right. So if you're considering adoption, you have to know you're walking into not just loss, but trauma. Right. And are you willing Mm -hmm. to do what you have to do to educate yourself to know how to help this child? It's a long, it's a lifelong
0: journey journey.
1: It is not once you sign those adoption papers, they're just part of your family and that's it. Right. So one of the places that I am passionate about advocating is for informed adoption.
0: I love that. What was like one of your major resources that helped? I mean, I know therapy and counseling and all of that, but was there something or someone that had a method that Mm -hmm. you karen purvis yep yeah
1: (laughs) yep the queen Mm -hmm. she's amazing we were able to sit under her at some of her conferences Mm -hmm. but you can find her material on youtube videos of her um she has books called the connected child there's another one now called the connected parent Mm -hmm. but the method is called tbri trust-based relational intervention Uh, We use it not just with our adopted kids, but with our biological kids as well. TBRI approaches it from a more connected space, Mm -hmm. which I feel is more in line with scripture. It's more in line with the way that God parents us. Right. So yes, 100% adopted or not, (laughs) I think Uh TBRI can really help all kids, but especially kids coming from trauma. Yeah. It just takes a different way. Yeah, different
0: perspective of things. It definitely changed my mindset. I mean, we adopted George when he was four and didn't necessarily realize the trauma and the struggles that... And I wish that I would have been partnered with someone who had Mm -hmm. said Mm -hmm. connection and trying to develop those bondings and connections early on is so important and I mean it, it is it's definitely something that still affects life today and Karen Purvis's trainings and everything have been super beneficial for sure
1: and it's something that you have to be intentional daily about be reminding yourself because right. it's it's against what we grew up with it's against our nature for the way that we parent hmm. but it works and right. it helps them heal. Right. And it helps us heal. It
0: doesn't mean that it's easy though.
1: No. Oh my gosh, because no. Because
0: it is it is not my first gut reaction for sure mm-hmm. to go into that space of
1: what what do we really need to do in this situation? Yeah. What's no. your what's your root need right now instead of looking at your behavior right. and how that is exhibiting what's the thing behind the behavior? Mm-hmm. That's kind of where TBRI goes yeah. is What's the root of what's happening? And then let's let's meet that need. Right. So that then this Behavior. more visible behavioral right. need is taken care of. Mm-hmm. My main thing that I tell people now when they come to me and they say, we're considering adoption. I always give people the resources for Karen Purvis, mm-hmm. read The Connected Child. And then there's another book that I recently found by Brittany Salmon, and it's called It Takes More Than Love.
0: Mm.
1: That one in particular – must be read if you are considering adopting a child that is of a different ethnicity than you are okay absolutely the best book that I have read because that adds a whole nother layer of things, of things to the adoption process and to them processing their story and who they are and their identity
0: yes
1: so yes. you can see the you can see the shift <laughs> that we took yeah, from changed, huh? from this you know, we're going to go and rescue this this little girl who's. Save your mentality. Save your mentality to we're stepping into this brokenness and we are going to advocate for everything that that child needs, not what I need. Mm. It's for a, what
0: you hope to create for yourself. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, along the lines of continuing the conversation in adoption, was it in 2016? through your light evangelism ministry, which we will talk more about in a
1: few minutes, Mm -hmm.
0: that you met a young girl named Betty, right?
1: So 2016 is when we started the process of adopting Betty from Liberia, West Africa. We had actually met her in 2013. Oh, okay. But at the time, Liberia was closed to adoption. So Liberia had had a lot of trafficking of children. Mm. They had had just a lot of corruption behind adoptions, and so they closed the country. And so there was about a 10, at least a 10 year, I think, moratorium on that. We just committed to supporting Betty from afar. Mm -hmm. Um, We felt like the Lord was placing her in our family as far as just our spirits were connected. And so we committed to paying for all of her school fees and whatever she needed um, as she grew up in Liberia. But then when 2016 hit and the moratorium was lifted, it didn't take us long. Really? Yeah to wow. To start that process, and that God again spoke very, very clearly About um, that. in some really amazing ways.
0: That is so so neat. So the nonprofit that you kind of helped establish, right?
1: So we didn't establish the nonprofit. We came on uh, many years after it was already started to pilot their child sponsorship program.
0: Okay. And this is Light Evangelism Ministry. Yes. And from what I saw, they're primarily serving in Liberia, West Africa. Correct. But it also supports ministry partners in Guinea,
1: Mainly in the Ivory Coast. Ivory Coast, West Africa. Mainly in the Ivory Coast, but they have done some work in Guinea and Sierra Leone. Those countries are all right there together. Okay. But the majority of the work is done right there in Liberia. So tell us what is so special about this ministry. This was back in 2012 when the Lord was really impressing on me this need for the body of Christ to be speaking out for people who couldn't speak out for themselves. I was heavy into orphan care, wanted to partner with one of our missionaries to serve and care for orphans in his country of Liberia. So we met after a long time of trying to connect. We finally got together and he said, I've got all these kids and I'm wanting to continue to support them, to feed them, to keep them in school, especially the girls. He's very, very committed to girls receiving education, which is something that we're not used to here in America, but in other countries like Liberia, girls do not have equal access to education as boys. So he had this desire, but he said, I don't have the funds. I don't have the means. It's a very, very, very small ministry. So I said, well, let's just bring this before the church and see what we can do. Bring me the kids Bring me their pictures. Bring me a little information about them. And so the next Sunday, he brought this stack of pictures. So in October, this was in December. In October that year, my friend had been having dreams, repetitive dreams. Okay. And she came to me and she said, I don't know what is going on, but I'm having this dream about this little girl. She's four years old. Her name is Ruth. She's got dark skin and she is crying out to me for help. I don't know who she is and I don't know
0: where she is, where she is,
1: anything like that. So we committed to just praying that the Lord would reveal this. Well, two months later, when Mark brings me this stack of papers, Mm. the very first child that I put up on the bulletin board is a dark skinned little girl named Ruth. And she's four years old. Stop. And I called my my friend because I was there early. I called her and I said, I am looking at her. Like I'm getting Holy Spirit chills. Just telling Ah. the story I do every single time. I'm looking at her. We're putting her up for sponsorship. Mm. And she said, I'll do it. Like no questions asked. We had about 25 kids. And within that week, we had all of them sponsored by the people in our church for monthly sponsorship. Right, right. So I looked at Mark and I said, we got to go. God is doing something. We've got to go to Liberia. And so Brian and I went with two college kids from our church we flew into Liberia, into the capital city, and then we had a 13-hour drive oh, up wow. into the bush area, middle of nowhere, where this little children's home was. Wow. And she was one of the first ones we saw, but my, Yep, yeah, she was. But my kids, when we put those papers up, my little kids, Hannah was 12 and the other ones, they were like four. And And you had Caleb by then now, I had Caleb and Abby.
0: Caleb and Abby and Hannah.
1: And Hannah. And so they saw Betty's picture and they said that 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 was the one that they wanted to sponsor. Wow. So she was our sponsor child first. We got to the children's home in Liberia and I just, I held her in my lap and she was scared to death, clinging to me out of fear, not out of love. Right. And like scared of, scared you. of us. Yeah. Wow. Cause we were the first white people that she had ever seen. Yeah. Their caretaker, Rebecca told us the story of her birth and her life and how she got to be at that children's home. And I just sat there weeping and weeping and weeping at this little girl and her story. We weren't there long. And I remember handing her back to Rebecca and feeling like I am giving my child over to this really? caretaker and I'm leaving her here <sighs> and mind you at the time Liberia was closed
0: that wasn't even like that was an not option.
1: an option mm, for us right to adopt her and so we had to just really go through that emotional and mental imagine. thing of like God has connected our spirits with this child and just seeking the Lord for okay we can't adopt her so what is this going to look like what can
0: we do for her
1: Yeah. So that's what we committed to. And then as soon as that moratorium lifted, that was it. We were just. You were ready. We're going. So
0: is that about the time that led you to partnering with one of my favorite companies, (laughs) an amazing nonprofit that helps so many families around the world be able to fund their adoptions all while supporting artisan business partners around the world? How did you come to learn about Noonday? Yeah. Yeah. And what do they do to help families be able to help fund their adoptions?
1: So I've been working with Noonday Collection since 2016. And that's the year that we started the process for Betty. The whole reason I started to work for them was because of our adoption. Um, I had heard about Noonday a few years prior. I had wanted to work for them, but the Lord was not opening that door. Noonday Collection exists to create a marketplace here in the United States for handmade artisan goods from around the world. We work in 15 countries. We work with 2,500 artisans. Mm. They make the products, but they don't have marketplaces in their local areas. They live in real vulnerable communities a lot of times, and they just don't have the buying power in their countries to sustain their businesses. Mm. So we purchase those products from them and sell them here in the United States. And it allows their businesses to grow. It allows them to give jobs to people who are just struggling to make ends meet. We serve women with HIV, women who have been trafficked, women who are escaping domestic violence. We also have men that partner with us. So my job is here in the States to be on that sales side. Right. What they also do, though, is trunk shows that are adoption trunk shows. And so Noonday has given over a million dollars now to adoptive families to help them bring kids into forever families. And so I can host an adoption trunk show for someone and then Noonday gives a A portion portion? to the adoptive family towards their cost for adoption. I don't think I realized that. Yeah. Wow. And so then I, because I'm an adoptive mom and I'm really passionate about it, I always match that as well. And so I love doing adoption trunk shows, but by joining as an ambassador, I was able to host them for myself too. And so I was able to not just make my commission for the work that I was doing, but to also have those donations coming from Noonday.
0: Wow. That's amazing. After being friends with so many different people in advocacy roles, I could see that advocacy burnout is like a real thing. And sometimes I'm sure you feel overwhelmed by the magnitude of the fight. And sometimes you just need a break. And it seems like you have an amazing community to lean into when Mm -hmm. you've reached your breaking Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. And I love that you take moments for yourself when you recognize that you needed it. And it seems that when you've taken that time to care for yourself, you've allowed yourself to show up. Stronger and more Mm -hmm. um, authentically than ever. How have you dealt with the struggles of feeling burnt out and getting that light fired up again to like start again fresh?
1: I think, I fully believe the key to advocacy is connecting with stories. Yes. You have to connect with the stories. Mm. When I joined Noonday in 2016, I hit the ground running. I had motivation of getting my daughter home sure, um, into our family, but I also was so connected to the work that was being done for and with the artists and partners. Right. Through that work, I was able to travel to Haiti, to go to Guatemala twice, to meet the artists and partners that we work with. That's incredible and
0: that you get to like go there Actually meet these people that are making these yes, products. Yes,
1: and play with their kids and eat in their homes and what? watch them make the products. and so, Hear
0: firsthand. Yes. Like how it's changing yes, their like lives. Yes,
1: like on the ground, seeing the impact that's being made through these purchases. Wow. I'm connected to the stories of those people that I have been with, right? right? Like mm-hmm. people I would call friends now Yeah, in yeah. other countries around the world. There, there with that comes this feeling of I have to keep going for them. Mm. But with that going and going and going comes the burnout. Right. I said that my mom passed away in September. She passed away from Alzheimer's. It was about a seven or eight year battle with Alzheimer's. We were starting to get into the hardest phase of that. Probably, well, 2020. Oh, yes. Um. You had the pandemic Mm -hmm. plus everything going on with my mom. And I had been doing Noonday hard for five years at that point. And I just hit a wall. Sure. I couldn't do anything else. Right. I couldn't pick up the phone and call somebody to book a trunk show. I could not even think about it. And I remember having so much guilt Mm. over that because I felt this responsibility to those artists to keep, and partners yeah. to keep going. And the founder of our company, Jessica Honegger, called me and she said, because I had texted her and said, I just can't do it. I can't, mm. I can't even pick up the phone. And she called me and she said, Emily, this is the beauty of the work that we do. You can step back and you can rest. Wow. And then you can come back. The founder of the company The founder you. of that the company. Amazing. And she said, stop. Right. And it was the permission that I needed to take a break, to take that pressure off of me mm-hmm. and to take a break. So I put it away. Like I didn't touch it right. and it took over a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I dabbled and you still have a connection
0: had, with the community, right? I did.
1: Yes. And those women in our community, hands down are the ones that kept me going through that last bit, you right. know, with my mom and, sure. and, and the burnout and just saying, We're here. It it doesn't matter if you're working or not. Like we're here and we're praying for you and we're lifting you up and Mm. we are your people. Yeah. Side note, the community with Noonday that I've gained shocked me. Really? I thought it would just be something that I did to raise money Mm -hmm. for our adoption. And instead I gained an entire community of like-minded women who have been my foundation. Wow. Wow. Through the hardest times of my life.
0: That's incredible. So
1: they all called me to rest. Mm -hmm. I put everything aside. I spent intentional time with my mom.
0: That's so Which I
1: needed to do. I didn't need to be distracted. Sure. In that moment. And I wouldn't take that back for anything. Mm -hmm. But then the Lord called me back into it last season. In the fall. And then January, just a couple weeks ago... I went back to our national conference. Mm-hmm. Um so I was back in person and I was listening to Jolia, our artisan partner from Uganda, the very first one that we ever worked with, and she said, "I have had to let go, meaning lay off almost all the managers at the artisan business because of the decline in sales." You know, mm. the whole world is struggling right now sure. financially. Right. But what we don't realize here in America is that when economic downturns happen, for us, we may have to not go to Starbucks as much, or we may have to cut out eating out. Or, you know, there's like places that we can cut that make us able... It doesn't really
0: affect our day-to-day
1: life, not in a way of survival. Right, sure. And she said that these managers have had to leave their kids with extended family and leave the country to go find work <sighs> separating families because our sales are not enough to, to keep them, them going
0: hmm. and that lit
1: a fire <laughs>
0: yeah under
1: me so that's sure. where I say that advocacy if you don't connect it to story mm-hmm. you're gonna burn out because it's heavy it's heavy it and very hard heavy. work sure. It's emotionally draining to carry these stories and to be working for change and for restoration, for redemption in people's lives. Connecting to those stories of, okay, is God okay with that? Is God okay with families being separated right. in order to survive? Mm-hmm. Obviously no. Sure. And so then me as a believer in Jesus, I have to step up and say, okay, well, not on my watch. Right. What can I do? And it brings me back every wow. time.
0: That's amazing. One of my favorite quotes that I ran across during preparing for this is from the President of International Justice Mission. Mm. Gary Hagen.
1: Love, how you say it. Love that organization.
0: So he said, "God has a plan to help bring justice to the world, and his plan is us." God has placed us on this earth to be his hands, to be his feet, and to show his heart to those he loves. When you choose to use your voice and advocate for those in need, you are showing love to them. The plan for justice is you. So (laughs) I read that and I was like, everything about this screams Emily Smith to me. Mm -hmm. Like when I think of you, you are a no nonsense, get to the heart (laughs) kind of girl. And I think, I know that the world would be a better place if there were more people like you. Mm. I do.
1: But you know what? Mm
0: -hmm. There's
1: more people that need to know that they can do this. They have it in them.
0: What is it that
1: holds people back? It's messy.
0: It's It's hard. hard. It's
1: uncomfortable. So we want to feel happiness all the time. We want to feel peace and we want to be comfortable. We want to feel a life of ease. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to a friend about this yesterday. Advocacy work doesn't do any of that. It pulls you into the darkness of this world. It pulls you into the messy spaces. Yes. But that's what Jesus did. Right. Jesus came into the darkness and the brokenness of this world to restore it and to redeem it. And so if we're going to be part of the body of Christ,
0: image bearers. we have to yeah. step
1: into the darkness and look into the eyes of those image bearers and say, God loves you. He cares about you. Mm. He came for you. That's, mm. That is part of the gospel. The gospel is, I am giving my life to Christ. And now I'm going to take his message and his restoration into the darkness Wow. And bring more people with me.
0: It's beautiful. But hard to. Yeah. To, to want to step into that. Knowing yep. that it's going to be so challenging. It's costly. You know? Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to speak a little bit more into you. Okay. You daily advocate for your children, your husband, your health, the health of your children, mental and physical And you do so with such humility and authenticity, which we just heard. One of my favorite things about you is that you never let people on to think that this is easy or that trials don't come your way. You are so strong in acknowledging that when you are advocating for others, that the enemy is going to come in strong and try Mm -hmm. to take you down. And you are speaking light and truth against those things. I believe... That friendship is such an important part of being an adult and being able to build intimacy with your friends by opening up and being vulnerable, I feel is so important to be able to create those deep friendships, Mm -hmm. being willing to disclose personal experiences and concerns. I truly believe that it can deepen your connection and friendship You are one of those friends who is not afraid to do this. And I'm so grateful for that. The stand that you are taking in a world where men can typically dominate conversations about hard topics and you are being brave Mm. and standing up for women that are trying to speak out the truth that is within them. And you are the person that has their plate so full with life
1: overflowing, (laughs)
0: overflowing, but you would drop everything in one second to help someone in need. And that says so much about you and about your heart. And I am just so blessed to know you and to get to call you my friend.
1: Thank you, friend.
0: Mm. So lastly, to finish this up, which I know I say this every single time with every guest that I've had, but you are coming back. (laughs) You'll be back. We will have a whole nother myriad of topics to discuss because you are just, you're an open book and you that are is true. full, you are full of so much wisdom from your experiences. Mm. And I love that. But what is one thing that a person has said or done for you
1: that you believe changed the trajectory of your life? Hmm. I grew up in a church environment that was very rules-based and i feel like that was the norm for the 80s sure right i was Mm -hmm. born in 75 so i grew up right in the midst of kind of purity culture and all of this like god will accept you if you're doing this and that and you know and and if you're not then man Mm -hmm. we got a problem you know very legalistic rules-based religion okay And what it did is it caused me every time I messed up to have intense shame and guilt that I still am trying to untangle today. Hmm. So I went to a conference in 2013. Okay. The same year that God catapulted me into this work with Light Evangelism Ministry. It was the first if gathering.
0: Oh, yes. In Texas. Okay.
1: Christine Kane got up. And started to speak about the Israelites and how what should have taken 11 days took 40 years and the death of all but two.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: To get to the promised land. And she said they were delivered, but they weren't free. Through her talking and through the Holy Spirit, I started to feel this sense that my whole life, I had not truly known Jesus. Mm
0: -hmm. I was
1: performing. I was delivered because I, I had accepted Jesus as my savior. I had said, yes, I believe that he died on the cross for me and for my sins. I was delivered from sin, but I was not living in freedom. Wow. And I believe with my whole heart that if you are going to operate from a performance-based religion that you can't effectively do the work of advocacy for the Lord. You have to know when you are placed into God's family, you are free. You don't have to perform that conference. It's one of those moments where you're like, well, before if gathering Um, and after if gathering, my entire life changed. My entire life changed.
0: Wow. That's such an interesting you gotta live in freedom yeah like i said this is not the last time that we're gonna visit with you because you are so full of
1: lots of stories
0: lots of stories and (laughs) i love them so much and i appreciate you coming here today and can't wait till we get together again me either i love you love you thank you so much for joining us here at ignite impact I hope that you can see that the people that will be on this show have certainly made an impact in my life, and I cannot wait to hear how they are making an impact in your life as well. I hope you have time to join us next time. Until then.